People who know me know that apart from God, there are three loves in my life. My family, good food, and Boston sports teams. And only the Lord knows the true order of these loves. But I want you to keep that in mind as I tell you the story. So Hina and I got married right here at Grace Chapel four years ago. And after our ceremony, we had rented out this place in Waltham, Massachusetts to celebrate with our friends. And we were dancing the night away and had nothing to worry about but to just enjoy the rest of the night. But at one point, I'm on the dance floor, and all of a sudden, one of my friends from college, Rob, comes up to me and says, Psst, hey, John, I have an extra ticket for the Patriots game tomorrow night. Would you like to go? You don't even have to pay. It's free. And like a thief in the night, he just disappears. I stop mid-dance, and I think about it for a second, and then I think to myself, nah, there's no way. I can't spend the entire day apart from my wife for a football game the day after we got married. Even asking for her permission would be insulting to our marriage. The day ends, and the next morning, I wake up pleased with myself. But I look at my phone, and it's a text message from my other friend, Eric. And he goes, hey, John, um, had, we had a great time at the wedding last night. So the ticket is still available? And he explains, it's Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers, Sunday night football. What if Tom Brady shows, throws for 400 yards and five touchdowns? And now my head is spinning and I'm doing mental gymnastics. This little voice inside my head says, you and Hina have a lifetime left together. It's just one day, John. And it's free. In fact, it would actually be financially irresponsible not to go. Just ask her if it's okay. Now I'm going to pause this story right here. And I want to ask, how many of you think I ended up spending that day after my wedding at home with Hina? And I thank all of you, those who, are, who, who believe in me, for trusting in me. Now, how many of you think I ended up going to the Patriots game that night with my friends? It hurts to think that all of you would think so low of me. But the real answer is here in this picture. I know, I know, I know. I'm embarrassed at myself too. But I only share this story here because I trust that this is a safe place. Hina was extremely sweet. And when I asked... She let me go to the game, and I ended up coming home at like 1 or 2 in the morning that night, to which I still owe a great debt. But I learned some valuable life lessons that day. The first is, just because someone says you can do something, doesn't always mean you should. Second, as I was thinking back to that day, I thought to myself, wow, I wonder how meaningful it would have been for the beginning of our marriage, that in the face of something that I really, really enjoy, that I had just remained home that day with Hina, trusting that there would be other opportunities in the, in the future to go to a game. A person that remains with us feels like a very, really uninteresting characteristic trait, right? When someone asks you, what do you love most about your best friend? The first thing you mention probably wouldn't be that they are kind of around a lot. But for some reason in our passage today, we find Jesus with his closest friend the night before he was going to die on the cross. And he's sharing his final words to them. And in this moment, Jesus is summing up in so many words the kind of life he wants them to embody and to live. And again and again in our passage today, Jesus says that he wants his disciples to be people who remain. People who remain in him. People who abide, dwell, stay with him. 
You see, Jesus knew that the disciples were soon going to be confronted with a mountain of reasons to run away from him. Persecution, temptations, doubts, hardships, busyness, exhaustion, Patriots games. But in this passage, he encourages them to keep remaining in him. And in turn, he would remain in his disciples. And I can imagine for some of us, it feels like there are a mountain of reasons for us to remain in anything else but God. Maybe it's because faith doesn't feel like it's working for you or ever worked for you or made sense for you. Maybe it's because of the seeming hopelessness of a hardship you find yourself in. Maybe it's because of the busyness of life that makes it feel impossible to remain in it. We're currently in the second week of our Lent series called I Am. And we're going through the different I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And in this story today, Jesus gives his disciples and to us a reason to abide and to remain in him. And it is because Jesus says, I am the true vine. What does that mean? Let's explore our passage for today. John 15 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This beautiful metaphor and image he paints about a vineyard is something his disciples would have been familiar with because vineyards were a common part of life during this time. So they would have fully understood that not only are branches completely dependent on the vine for their vitality, they're also dependent on the vine for the ability to produce fruit. And a branch without the ability to produce fruit is a branch without purpose because the entire purpose of a vineyard is to produce fruit. It's like having an Oreo without the stuffing or drinking boba without a boba straw. It loses its meaning. Just as a vine gives life and purpose to a branch, Jesus lets his disciples know that if they remain in him, he will give them life and purpose. And purpose continues to be something that this world longs for and we look for it in everything, whether it's a job, a hobby, marriage, children, or the latest lifestyle trend. There's always the latest ism that claims to grant us a more meaningful purpose. A few years ago on Netflix, there was this really popular show called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And it was this reality TV show where this woman named Marie Kondo preached the gospel of minimalism. She valued cleanliness, organization, and only keeping things that sparked joy. And her gospel promised the fruit of control over your life. I remember how mentally defeated I would feel about the status of my apartment every time I watched her show. But a few weeks ago, I saw an interview she did. And she was talking about how much her tidying lifestyle changed after having three children. I was intrigued. And in this interview, she admits, my home is messy. What? 
But the way I'm spending my time is the right way for me at this time, at this stage of my life. Marie Kondo, what? Your life is messy too? That would have been nice to hear seven years ago when you made me feel like a fool for not putting my shirt in the dresser the right direction. And I'm sure she's a great person, but millions of people with looking for purpose in something its own creator realized might have ultimately been a little foolish. But it's hard to remain in the vine when there are so many competing vines in our lives promising to bear in us good fruit like minimalism. So my question to you is this, what vines do you find yourself remaining in today? And what fruit is it promising to bear in you? What vine are you trusting in right now to provide the things only Jesus can? Earlier in the night, just before the time where our passage takes place, Jesus predicts that before the rooster crowed the next morning, Peter, one of his very own disciples, would deny knowing him. And as Jesus was arrested and taken away the next morning, people began accusing Peter of being a disciple of Jesus. And just as Jesus predicted, Peter denied knowing him three separate times. Presumably and understandably fearing for his life. But in this moment, Peter trades in the vine of Jesus for a different one. A vine that promised the fruit of safety. For me, I think a vine I sometimes find myself remaining in is my children, actually. You might be thinking, what's wrong with finding purpose in your children? And yes, finding meaning in being a parent can be great. But I know I have to actively stop myself from tying the success of my children to my value as a person. A few months ago, my daughter had a play date with someone right around her age, and he showcased to us, showcased to us his ability to write his own name. And immediately I thought to myself, is this baby a genius? Or am I doing something wrong as a parent? But on the flip side, when I see how my daughter can understand and speak two different languages, I'm like, my, my child is twice as smart as everyone else's child. And although it might feel low stakes for now, if my vine is in my children, I can see the fruit that it is promising to bear in me. That my child's successes or missteps speaks to how successful or not successful I am as a parent. There are so many vines that promise to produce in us good fruit as long as we remain in it. A lifestyle, a profession, a person. But these are not the true vine. You might have noticed that in verse 1, Jesus doesn't just say he is the vine. He says that he is the true vine. And that means there is a not true vine as well. And here Jesus is talking about how the vine was oftentimes used in the Old Testament as a symbol for Israel, the people of God. But time and time again in the Old Testament, the Israelites were not bearing any fruit. God even says through Jeremiah and Jeremiah 2, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Instead of producing the kind of fruit that the people of God should, the vine was turning corrupt. And so that's why Jesus says he is the true vine because he isn't like the Israelites. It's also meant that the ability to produce fruit had no longer anything to do with an ethnic identity. It had to do with remaining in Jesus because he alone is reliable, true, and steadfast. And it is only when we abide in the true vine that we find life and purpose. But if these other vines are not producing good fruit in us, what exactly is the fruit, the purpose that Jesus promises for those who remain in him?
The purpose, the fruit that naturally comes out of those who remain and abide in Jesus is love. We know this because in verse, verses 12 through 13, it says this. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The disciples don't fully realize this just yet, but that is exactly what Jesus is about to do on the cross. He is about to show and exhibit this sacrificial, life-altering kind of love that comes from abiding in him. That is the beauty of Jesus. When he tells his disciples to abide in him, it isn't a command that comes from a place of ego, a selfish desire to have people staying and remaining in him. It comes from a place of love that he's exhibited himself already, a love for his people. But it is hard to remain in Jesus, to trust that he will produce good fruit in us, not only because there are other competing vines like I just mentioned, but also because we might not enjoy the process it takes us on. As we continue in our passage today, Jesus says this, My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The disciples would have also understood that pruning is, an, is integral for the life of a vineyard. So what is pruning exactly? So pruning is the process where the gardener comes in and clips things that the, vine, uh, the vineyard doesn't need. Because especially during the winter months, the vine can grow out of control. So each year, the, the vine must be pruned to focus the growth of the vine in such a way that it will produce the most and best fruit. As one author puts it, pruning involves difficult decisions. It's about removing growth, even what is good and beautiful, to attain something far better. When Jesus compares uh, the father to the gardener, he, they know Jesus was telling them that just as the gardener comes in and clips away the things that a vineyard doesn't need, that God also, as the gardener, also takes away things from us that we think we need in order to produce something better. But no one enjoys being pruned. No one enjoys things being cut off in our lives, losing things that we love. I don't know many people who go to the dentist and go, ah, yes, I can't wait to be pruned so that I can be made better. That's why it's so hard to remain in Jesus when it feels like God is pruning us. But it's funny because when it applies to other people, it, it makes much more sense. When my kids don't want to eat vegetables, I'm like, guys, these vegetables are good for your health. They're going to help you. And in my brain, I'm like, how can they not comprehend this? But anytime I go to New York and see my parents, my mom always has this new herbal, fungusy, Korean medicine that she wants me to take. And every time she tries to make me eat it so that I can get healthier, I'm like, mom, I don't want to eat this. Is this even FDA approved? I'd rather have this cold than eat this. But the hard thing to believe when we are being pruned is believing that there is something better that God is doing in our lives. Because I think we apply that in a way, but I, but I think we apply that in a way that sometimes can be harmful. When you get rejected from a job or a relationship with a friend deteriorates, or when you receive a devastating diagnosis, there is nothing better about that. Those things are tragic, difficult, and lonely. 
But what Jesus says here is that if we remain in him during the pruning seasons of our lives, we will be even more fruitful. And we just learned what it meant to bear fruit. It means to love more, to love more sacrificially. So Jesus says that the people who remain in him during pruning seasons are able to have deeper empathy, a more courageous love, a more sacrificial heart. They're able to love more patiently and to care more thoughtfully about the marginalized. And that's because, as verse 4 says, when we remain in him, Jesus also remains in us. As I said earlier, Jesus is talking to his disciples knowing that he's going to die on the cross. But he knows that he won't depart from them. He's going to, because he's going to give them the Holy Spirit, the advocate. And when we have the Holy Spirit, we're able to embody this beautiful love that he has for his people. And truly, if you look in the world, the people who have experienced the most difficult pruning seasons in their lives and have still remained in Jesus have the biggest hearts. And I know I've been personally ministered to in my own pruning seasons by others who have experienced those things before me. So today we see that remaining in Jesus, the true vine, is vital for our ability to produce fruit and to become better stewards of God's love. But how do you remain in Jesus? And what does that actually even mean? Well, I love the way this one commentator defines remaining. He says, it is an effortless resting in the Lord. When was the last time you felt like you were effortlessly resting in God? Because what it looks like to effortlessly rest in God is to depend on him for everything. A branch has nothing to do but to rest there effortlessly depending on the vine to give life and to help it bear fruit. In the same way, Jesus is calling us to depend on him with our entire lives, even during the seasons of pruning. As I was preparing for this message, a song that I found myself listening to over and over again was a song called Abide. And one of the verses goes, When I pass through death and I enter rest, I depend on you. I depend on you. And those lyrics kept playing over and over again in my head because I felt like God was asking me, John, do you depend on me for everything? And the reason depending on God is so hard is because it requires us to acknowledge that we can't do it on our own. It requires us to acknowledge weakness. And although that is hard, there is something so freeing about it as well. We see it in children all the time because they have no other conception than to completely depend on their parents or caretakers. My children are effortlessly resting, trusting that we are going to feed them. Depending on Jesus is like a child that effortlessly rests in a parent's arms after a long day, knowing that their parent is going to carry them into their room. And so depending on, G- on God, depending on Jesus, isn't so much an action, but a posture. Depending on Jesus doesn't mean eloquent prayers. It means a confidence in his faithfulness. It means depending on him in everything. And so my question to you is this, what is something that you are having a hard time depending on God? Is it a relationship, a hardship? Depending on God means being confident that the presence of God 
is with you in all things because when we abide in him, he abides in us as well. But to be clear, abiding in God should always lead to the same fruit, sacrificial love. Something that's been on my heart recently, as someone who has young kids and has worked with teenagers for the last 10 years, is the question of, what is the kind of fruit that we are bearing for the next generation to witness? Recently, the CDC published the latest Youth Risk Behavior Study, which was a collection of data from 2011 to 2021 on health behaviors and experiences amongst high school students in the United States. And the latest data is heartbreaking especially for teenage girls. This survey found that the share of teenage girls who say that they experience persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness increased from 36 to 57%. That means almost six out of every 10 teenage girls experience the sense of profound sadness or hopelessness. Those are heartbreaking numbers. And as I'm thinking about this next generation, the question I want to ask us is, what is the kind of fruit that we are bearing for this next generation to witness? Is it big church buildings? Is it incredible wealth? Is it prestige? No, but what might greatly impact the next generation is the fruit that we bore as Christians was the kind of love that Jesus has shown us. A love that was willing to sacrifice their pride, ego, money, time for the benefit of others. And it is Jesus' desire that we bear a lot of this fruit. It says in verse 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So how can we bear much love in our lives that might impact the next generation? Well, it happens when we abide in it. Spending time with him in the word and in prayer and being in his presence, effortlessly depending on God. So what is a teaching on remaining and abiding in God if we don't take a moment to do that together? So we are going to do that in in a bit. A few weeks ago, I asked Nia, our contemporary worship leader, who is incredibly multi-talented, if she might be willing to write a spoken word piece about this very passage. And thankfully, she agreed, and she wrote this incredibly beautiful and creative spoken word piece that we are all going to experience in a second. It will play alongside a song called Abide that I had mentioned earlier. So thank you to Sam Lee, our East Lexington Kids Town director, and Philip Otto, one of our contemporary worship piano players, for helping us put it all together. But as we abide in God together, I want us to think of this question. What is Jesus's invitation to you today? What is he inviting you to leave behind and to depend on him? As we watch this together, I hope you find yourself effortlessly resting, remaining and depending on God. But as we close, uh, I wanted to share a story that's been on my heart for the past few weeks. As some of you may know, two major earthquakes completely devastated parts of Turkey and Syria. The death toll has reached a staggering 50,000 people. And here at Grace Chapel, we have collected special offerings for our partners that are helping with the ongoing relief efforts in Syria. In the days after the earthquake, as I was reading the news of the heroic efforts of rescuers trying to find any survivors in the rubble, I saw a story 
of a team of people that rescued this tiny little boy under a mountain of debris. But the reason this child was able to be rescued was because he was found completely wrapped around the arms of his father, seemingly trying to protect him in the moments of chaos during the earthquake. And so they found this child wrapped in his father's arms. With chaos all around him, this child knew nothing else but to hold on and to depend on the love of his father. And this image of a child simply holding on to the father, effortlessly resting on him, depending on him, remaining him in, this is the same kind of remaining that Jesus calls us to do. Let us pray. God, I pray that you would reveal in us ways and things in which we've remained in and dwelled in, the things that have promised good fruit, the things that have promised us a significant purpose and meaning, I pray that you would reveal in our hearts those things that we have so depended on. I pray that you would help us to abide and to dwell in you and to trust in you, knowing that you are doing a good work in us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yet we abide in other things like they'll produce good fruit. 
No, he didn't choose him. Thank God he chose me and you. We ask for sights unseen and more good deeds to do. But there's one work for you, and this one work is true. Just abide in the one who can produce good fruit. And that's always been God. That's why he came down to us. Despite burnt offerings rising, they couldn't get high enough. That's why he sent us his son to do what no man could do. He says, abide in me, because he's enough for you. Bye. 